Thank you for your invitation and for your prayer and welcome. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 18, which I know isn't a Christmas passage, um, but hopefully you'll see it's uh, appropriate for Advent. John chapter 18 and verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Well, let's look at those, uh, those words uh, for a few moments on this uh, Advent Sunday. I don't know what you've made of Meghan Markle um, marrying into the British royal family next year, I think it is. Uh, you know, shock horror, an American marrying into the British royal family. That's never happened before. Oh, yes, it has, hasn't it, really? But uh, in slightly different circumstances with Wallace uh, Simpson. Uh, you know, a, a very British royal family. Though I think they're quite more German, aren't they, in British? But anyway, there's another matter. Oh, what about this uh, Meghan Mark? It's going to be an interesting one, isn't she? Because she's an independent, and older than Prince Harry, older, independent, successful woman with her own career as, a, as an actor. My lad watches, has watched, I don't know how many episodes of Suits, and uh, he found it rather strange, the thought that the, one, the, the, the woman that he sees on, this, uh, on the telly, on Netflix or whatever he watches, is going to be married to Prince Harry. But she's sort of independent. She's also been is a human rights activist as well. And so there she is, marrying into the British royal family. And she's going to give it all up, as far as I can tell. Uh, she's going to give up her acting, or certainly on, on suits. She's um, going to give all of that. She's going to become a British citizen. Is that right? I think she is. Yeah. I think she probably has to do. But anyway, she becomes a British citizen. So she gives up her, in that, her citizenship. And she marries into the royal family. And her uh, husband's gran is the queen. Or, and then the, her father-in-law might become the king. Her brother-in-law might become the king. I mean, it's going to be an interesting one for this independent woman who's meant to be her own boss. You know, very much her own self, her own boss. Suddenly, she's going to have many, many changes. Getting married is a massive change. Never mind marrying into the royal family. Who is going to be her boss after all of that? Is it still herself or is she giving up? And she is sacrificing an awful lot to be married. Well, it just made me think a little bit at this time of Advent about who's our boss? Who's our king? Because on Advent Sunday, it's a theme that we often look at, as we'll see in a few moments. Who's your boss? Who's your king? Now, obviously, nowadays, our royal family are constitutional monarchs. And so, you know, if you don't really like the, uh, the royalty and monarchy, well, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, you can get on with life quite, quite happily because the, the, the queen's not going to come around and chop your head off. Now, going back to Jesus' day, 
they had absolute sort of monarchs and, and uh, kings who, you know, could sort of get rid of you if you didn't like them. Uh, they were that sort of people. Thinking, just think back to the Christmas story, or think forward in the next few weeks, the Christmas story we're going to have. Think of King Herod, for example. Remember King Herod, who uh, the, the wise men call in at his palace and say, where's the one who's going to be born king of the Jews? And so he gets his advisors and they look through the scriptures and they find he's going to be in Bethlehem. So the magi go off to, to the wise men go off to Bethlehem. They find Jesus born in a manger. And they're meant to come back and tell King Herod, because King Herod wants to come and worship. Oh, yes. He wants to come and worship because he's so pleased there's going to be another king in his kingdom. But well, of course, the, the Magi decide, or not decide, to be told in a dream not to return. So King Herod is absolutely livid. How is he going to find that one who is the one born king of the Jews? So he goes for the sledgehammer approach, doesn't he? He decides to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem under two years old. So he's got a sort of wide sort of thing. He's sure to get Jesus. Of course, he misses because of, again, a wonderful dream to Joseph and the escape into Egypt. Now... Many people think that's a bit unbelievable that King Herod should be so threatened by one little baby that's meant to be born in Bethlehem. Well, it's not just one baby. It was meant to be the Messiah, and he knew that. But more than that, this is King Herod who killed his wife because he thought she was a threat to his kingdom. He killed his two sons. I think one of them had a very unfortunate accident of diving into a swimming pool, but unfortunately they forgot to put the water in and he broke his neck. This is the same King Herod. He also killed his stepbrother. In fact, he really killed anybody who might be a threat to him as king. So that's the sort of kings that we're dealing with in those sorts of days. But he had a king over him. I'm not talking about the king of kings, our Lord Jesus, though that is true. He had a king over him, which was Caesar. Um, because actually King Herod, power was very limited under Caesar because he was part of the Roman Empire. And of course, Pilate, that we read about in our reading, is the representative in that area of the power of, the, of Caesar, the Roman emperor. And when the Jewish leaders get fed up of Jesus, because he, he, he is threatening their power, what do they do? They accuse him of blasphemy, of saying that he is the son of God. And then they go to Pilate and they change it from a religious charge through to a civil charge. They decide it's treason. This man is claiming to be a king because they knew that King Herod, they knew that Pilate, as the representative of Caesar, is going to be much more interested in somebody who might usurp their power or be the center of a rebellion. So that's the context of our passage I've just read to you. Jesus is brought in front of Pilate and Pilate asks him the very obvious question. Are you the king of the Jews? Now he's not because King Herod is. Okay. But are you claiming to be the king of the Jews? Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? He knows he'd been set up by the Jewish leaders. And again, Pilate as a great politician says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? Am I bothered? That's what we would be saying. Am I bothered? I'm not, it's not up to me. Whether you, he says, I'm not interested in that. Your own people have brought you here. What have you done? And then Jesus comes out with an incredible statement in verse 36. It's a great statement about Jesus as king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Have you got that? His kingdom's not of this world. It's otherworldly. 
it's not of this place. And it's a good job, really, for Pilate and for all the others that it was another place because Jesus says in Matthew, he says, look, if I didn't want to be arrested, I would have called on my heavenly father and he would have sent 12 legions of angels and put them at my disposal. Isn't that fantastic? 12,000 supernatural beings coming and attacking them. I bet if you were Jesus, wouldn't you feel tempted? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came up to arrest him. Oh yeah, yeah, don't rely on Peter. He, okay, he's gonna chop somebody's ear off, but you need a bit more than that. 12,000, in the darkness, suddenly all these angels attacking. But it wouldn't be right, would it? Because that's not the sort of kingdom that Jesus is king of. And actually Jesus, okay, so he says, look, I'm not a threat to you, Pilate. My kingdom, I'm not here to cause a rebellion. But there is an implied threat. There is one word there in verse 36, which is a threat. Now, one word can make a massive difference. One letter can make a massive difference. Uh, for reasons I won't bore you with, I was, uh, I was interviewing for a cleaner this, this week. I don't know why I get involved in, at school where I'm the chaplain. So uh, why the chaplain's interviewing for a cleaner is a long story. But anyway, I was uh, looking through applications for, uh, for a cleaning job uh, in at our school. And somebody had put on that uh, cleaning de-stresses her. As in, you know, de- so it's, she obviously is trying to say, I find cleaning is a therapy. I don't know if anyone else here. Some people do really like cleaning. Some strange people. Anyway, no, they really like cleaning and it de-stresses them. And so she was saying, employ me because I just love cleaning. The problem was she'd misspelt it by one letter. Not de-stresses as in D-E stresses. She put D-I stresses. She should put cleaning distresses me. Thinking, we don't want to employ someone who's going to be distressed all the time. That's not too good. So a massive change by one letter. But there is one word here that changes what Jesus has said. He says, but now my kingdom is from another place. Can you see the implied threat there? Now, for now, my kingdom's another place. I'm no worry to you now, in other words, in brackets, but I will be. And at this time of Advent, we're not just remembering Jesus born in the manger and it was a threat to King Herod. But we're actually remembering that Jesus is the King of Kings and he promises to return. And when he returns, every knee shall bow. That's what Advent means. It means waiting, looking forward. Uh, we are looking forward. Uh, the whole of the Old Testament, we're looking forward to the Messiah being born. That's happened. We're now looking forward to the time when the Messiah returns as King of Kings. But Pilate, you'd think, instead of feeling threatened, he thinks he's won. So if you look in verse 37, if you, you, it's not there in the scriptures, but the word aha should be there. You know, it really should. So he sort of goes, aha, you are a king then, as if Pilate has caught him out. Yeah, yeah, you were king. And then he's talked about a kingdom. Ah, I've got you. I love when I'm talking to youngsters about my job in safeguarding a school. He's talking to children to find out what's happened, what happened to them, what are they doing. I mustn't ask any leading questions and all that sort of thing. So often I pull a child out and I say to them, now, I need to speak to you. Can you think why I might need to speak to you? It's great. Children are brilliant. And they go, oh, well, well, yes. And then they tell me a whole story and I write it down. And I say, well, that's very interesting, but that's not why I pulled you out. But I will look into that later. Anything else you can want to tell me about? And then they tell me something else. And I say, 
Well, that's not why I pulled you out either. So they end up confessing all their sins in a few, in a few months, but, uh, which is a great way. If you ever want to find out, we, you know, the children do suss this out by a certain point. But, he, but here, Pilate thinks he's sussed Jesus out. He's caught him. Ah, you are a king then. What does Jesus answer? He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The only thing that uh, Pilate's done is give Jesus a fantastic opportunity to witness to him and to make a statement about what sort of king he is. Isn't this an incredible statement of what sort of king he is? He is the king of truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me and at this time of advent when we think of Jesus as the king of kings he is the king of truth I was listening to Newsnight I'm saying this because I hardly ever listen to Newsnight I accidentally flicked onto Newsnight I'm just trying to impress you here I was watching a rather studious program late at night and there was a guy on who used to work for Google or Fa I think it was Facebook and he was called they said this man has been called the conscience of Silicon Valley which is quite a statement. And he came on and he said that in his belief that Facebook and the other social medias are the greatest existentialist threat to humanity. I'm not quite sure about existentialist, but anyway, I'm sure it's an overblown statement, but it's quite a statement to make. And he has worked for, for, for Facebook till only a few years ago. The greatest existentialist threat to humanity. And he gave a whole load of reasons why I thought that it was bad. But what he did say there is that Facebook have over 2 billion active users in the world. He then linked that to another statistic about just over 2 billion people in the world. I don't know if you realise what, uh, what group is just over 2 billion in this world. Christianity is just over 2 billion, according. I don't know how they work these out, but anyway, that's the sort of what you'll find. And so he was saying there are as many active Facebook users as there are Christians, and Christianity is still the biggest religion in the world in terms of number of people. And he's saying, that's an incredible thing. He says, and the, on average, most people check their phone 150 times a day. And I went, oh yeah. I was with my son this morning for just over an hour, and he was checking his phone every few minutes. It was a church service, which wasn't the best thing, I have to say, um, but he, he did. And I said, how many times have you looked at your phone over the last hour? And he said, about 15. So I, I put that up into 10 hours of a day. I thought, yeah, they're right, 150 times. And we start to think about this. What are people looking at? There's nothing wrong with being on Facebook and all the other stuff. I have to say I hate some of the things, Snapchat, as a, as in terms of safeguarding, they're absolutely appalling uh, and a lot of bother to me. But when people are looking at it, they're looking at opinions. You know, everyone's liking pictures, uh, people's statements and what are tweets or whatever it is, liking, they're constantly filling their lives with opinions, what people think about them. And this is why many children find this extremely hard, because they're constantly being bombarded with opinions about them or trying to find out what people think about them or what they ought to be like to be popular, to be right. Did you also hear today that the government's putting £300 million extra into mental and emotional health for children, for students, and through schools? 
fantastic if they come through with that. And if it's new money, that's it's desperately, desperately needed. But no one seems to be asking the question, why do we need to have 300 million more? Why is there, and I can assure you there is a problem, because I deal with it every day, of emotional and mental health amongst children. I'm sure across the whole of our uh, you know, ages, but in particular with children. Would it be any, is it a coincidence to say that over the last few years, we've seen a massive rise in social media. There used to be, many years ago, when the internet was beginning, uh, the older ones here will remember this, people used to say, make apocalyptic sort of statements. Oh, in Revelation, it says that uh, if it, the internet is going to destroy. And, and I was thinking, oh, they're a bit over the top. I'm not so certain now. I'm not so certain because when you think over 2 billion active just Facebook users, 150 times a day... Do we as Christians read our Bible 150 times a day? Well, you might be much better than me, but I don't think for most of us, I'm not even sure we pray 150 times a day. Do we? But people are completely immersed. And it's not truth. It's opinion. And I think there is a real problem. and something we really, really need to uh, pray about. And Jesus says into this, I am the king of of truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I found out recently that there's still people in the world who believe the world is flat. Uh, and apparently that, that is, uh, there are groups of people, I'm not quite sure why they do, but they, they do. Now, and again, there's this sort of idea, wasn't I? You were probably brought up like I was, believing that Christopher Columbus thought he was going to sail off the edge of the earth. Do you know that, that story and going back several hundred years? Apparently, that's all a myth now. No one really believes that. So uh, that shocked me. All the history I learned at school's all gone out the window now. But, but apparently, people did know it. The, the earth was a globe long beforehand. I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. What I do know is that nobody until the age of space rockets could absolutely prove that the world was flat. They could look at other, when they had telescopes, they could look at other planets and they could see that it was round. I don't know about a globe, but they could tell they were round. And all sorts of other maths and scientific, they could try and work out that the Earth is a globe. But they couldn't prove it until somebody actually escaped from our, if you like, our existence and looked back on us. Why do I mention all this? Well, Jesus has just said that he was the reason I was born and came into the world, that we will celebrate in a few weeks' time, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Why can he claim to have the truth? Because he's the only one who claims to have been outside, to actually be on the outside of the universe, to actually be in the other dimension, in the other place. My kingdom is not of this world, it's of another place. And so he actually can see why we're here. He can see what's happening. He can see the future. He can see the whole point of our lives. And actually, I'd rather listen to what Jesus is saying than what Joe Bloggs down the road thinks about the universe and the life and, and everything. He is the king of truth. Christians are those people who are on the side of truth and they listen to Jesus. I was reading in the morning at school, I'm reading Peter and I've just got to the bit in 1 Peter, it says, honor Christ and let him be the king of your life or the Lord of your life. And that's what we're meant to be doing. Isn't it? And so on this Advent time, as we're finishing, I want you to think, who is your Lord? Who is your boss? Who is your king? 
And I can tell you who your king is, yourself, because we're all sinful. If you're like me, and certainly the scriptures say we're all sinful, and so sin has an eye in the middle, and basically we are, we are all hardwired to be sinful and to put ourselves first and we have to work against that we need to confess that we need to try and get that out of the way and give that to Jesus so that we can get a proper perspective on life because if not riches and money become our boss they are the ones who tell us what to do and Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven or ambition. Think of the rich young ruler who had everything. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. He comes to Jesus and said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? You know, I'm still empty. I, I need something else. What is the greatest thing? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, you've done it. I, I've done it, he says. He says, well, go and give all your money away and give it to the poor and then follow me. And it says, doesn't it? The rich young ruler went away sad. He couldn't do that. Who, what was the boss in his life? It was his riches. It was his power. It was his ambitions. What about consumerism and materialism, which so many people live for today? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, by the things he consumes, but by the, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus offers, the, what about religion? Sorry, I forgot, let's not leave religion out. Jesus, you know, we can often think if we do the right things, we'll be fine. Jesus said, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, it's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. It's really important, isn't it? At this time of Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, that we look at ourselves and say, what or who is our king? What is running our lives? Who's boss of our lives? So how does Pilate respond to this thing when he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me? It's almost an appeal. Now, over Christmas, you're going to be bringing the message of Jesus to people. You're going to bring the truth of the gospel in a most, in a such an acceptable way at Christmas because people are just open. They're just open to hearing this wonder. Because it's, it's a fantastic story stroke truth, isn't it? It's amazing. It's an amazing story. And we have that, you have that opportunity. But he, so Jesus gives it to Pilate. How does Pilate respond? Very modern way, doesn't he? He says, what is truth? Sort of cynical. What is truth? This is the guy whose wife warns him about Jesus, doesn't he? Because she has a supernatural dream. And she, so she goes and says, don't have anything to do with Jesus. You're going to be gonna a problem. Don't, don't have anything to do with him. And he didn't take any notice because he's a, a politician. He knows what to do. And so he just blunders on ahead. At the end of Judges, the book of Judges, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit or did what was right in their own eyes. I just think that's a statement for our society because we don't know what truth is. We don't trust anybody nowadays. Partly because those who are meant to be leading us seem to say and do the most bizarre sort of things. We don't know who to follow. There is a, a gap. And anyone who stands up and says, this is the truth, everyone just laughs at them. Pfft. You think you know the truth? What is truth? And there is a real vacuum of truth. And so we do whatever, with great integrity often, we feel is right. It's what we feel. Or that most people like the most. You know, most people think this is right, so we'll follow it. 
instead of trying to get the perspective of Jesus, the King of Truth. I would say at this Advent, be true to the King of Truth. Don't be wise in your own eyes, as Proverbs puts it, but fear the Lord. We're in between these two Advents. We have the Advent of Jesus, we'll worship as a, as a baby in the next few weeks, but also we have the second Advent of Jesus returning. In this interim time, we must every single day, shall we try it for Advent, as long as opening, opening your Advent uh, calendar as well and burning your Advent calendar or whatever else you want to do, but every day join me in saying every morning that this is your day, Lord. Show me what you want me to do. Help me see what you want me to do. Because Jesus also said that, yeah, there is a time when he will return and the kingdom will, will, of heaven will be seen. But he also said that it's breaking in every day. He told lots of parables, didn't he, about that? Growing secretly, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in. Truth is breaking in now. And we need the eyes to see it. We need the ears to hear it. We need to listen to Jesus, the King of Truth. I love the word Advent. If you add three letters on the end, U-R-E, you know, that makes it more exciting, doesn't it? Adventure. We, as Christians, are in this adventure in between the two Advents, waiting, waiting for the King of Truth to be seen. In the meantime, listening, asking for the King of Truth to direct us so that we see the truth and hopefully we encourage other people to follow uh, Jesus. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, says Jesus. Amen.